Hi, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Scale with Predictable Success, where we talk with leaders who are on the way to that stage that we call predictable success in scaling their organization. And today, I am absolutely delighted to welcome Jeanette Chow. Jeanette's the founder and co-CEO of Evolution Design Lab and Jelly Pop Shoes, which we're going to hear about a lot later. But for now, welcome, Jeanette. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. It's great to have you on. We we uh, met in LA at a, a, a YPO event that was uh, where your husband, uh, uh, Mike Chen, uh, and also your co-CEO uh, had invited me to speak. And it was there that I uh, got to learn a little bit about your remarkable journey to where you are now as founder, co-CEO of particularly Evolution Design Lab, and then we'll talk a little bit about Jelly Pop Shoes. Now, every founder story is a personal one, right? We all have personal stories that we've got there, but yours is uniquely personal in that it's very tied up with your family history and your own background. And I'd love if we could just start with you just sharing that. How did, you know, how did you get here? Oh my goodness, it's a long story. I'll try to uh, be as concise as possible, uh, but I started, very much. I, I really loved, first of all, your everything that you taught, because it really resonated with me from what I've observed as a little kid, because I saw my kids go through the whole, not my kids, I saw my parents go through the whole process from the early struggle, the fun stage, every single stage that you had mentioned to the very end, 37 years in business. Wow. So I was four years old when they first started their business. Uh, they started off at the swap meet. My mom was a waitress. My dad was a civil engineer. That was their day job. And on the weekends, we went to swap meets. And I would follow them because they couldn't afford a babysitter. So I really grew that resilience in watching them struggle, waking up at four in the morning, uh, going to swap meets, trying to sell five pairs of shoes even. And I would help them lay out the shoes. And it was just natural to me that this is hard work. This is what we have to do. And then they got really lucky, met a third business partner who was the charismatic visionary leader that you talk about, who ended up talking to them and seeing if they could manufacture shoes for him in Taiwan. Yeah. And so my father, actually, my father, Harry, he has since passed, and Bobby, the, who ended up being the head of sales, who has since passed, and my mom, who's still around, they were the perfect trinity. And I see them as the V, V, O, or the P. It's, it, now I understand, after seeing your VOPS, that why they were perfect together. Right. So I would watch how they grew and grew. He ended up selling shoes to some of the biggest retailers, Bullocks, uh, iMagnon at the time, Saks Fifth Avenue, you know, a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of department stores that are no longer around. Uh, And I witnessed that and I helped along the way. When I was 14, my father had a heart attack, a massive heart attack. He was the only one who could draw. So uh, because he had the quadruple bypass and just was very weak, he couldn't work anymore. So my 
at the time we only had 20 some employees and we didn't really have a designer. So I would go in and help draw. They were just really starting up and winging it. So I would draw and mind you, I never received an award in school, no trophies, nothing. But when I drew, people would compliment me. And I, my trophy was the next season when they said, oh my gosh, we sold a million pairs of this design or, and it was then that I was hooked since I was 14, 15. I was like, oh my gosh, I have a talent. Right, a million pairs. Yes. Wow. And sales reps that uh, still remember that time will bring that up. And they would always encourage me, these sales reps, they would ask me to come in summertime, come in whenever they even wanted to start a label with my name. And I, I always felt like it was a joke. Bobby would always say, let's have a label under Jeanette. And it was really Bobby who mentored me and believed in me because my parents, of course, were like, don't go to art school. Don't go to design school. You need to get your degree get a real at a job. normal college. Right. So I was just loving the design process. And I, and I, it was just kind of like, that vision of me as a kid, I really wanted to continue my family's legacy in footwear because I was good at it. Cause I had that 10,000 hours that people speak about. And so when I went to college, my parents were very happy, but within three months, I decided to drop out. It's <laughs> <laughs> all best entrepreneurs do, right? I was so sure of it because I felt like I was wasting so much time. My dad, eventually would write me letters and say this is back in the day when email was not as popular uh, we're starting a factory in China from Taiwan right and then that would make me even more excited than learning the new and old testament at the time right. so I packed up my bags and I said dad I really want to follow you now that you're healthy travel to China and Europe with you to design and to just help you out. This is what I really wanted to do. And at the time, only a few entrepreneurs like Steve Jobs didn't go to college. <laughs> and I think Bill Gates is not known uh, to drop out of college, especially for Asians. Right. I was one of the few at the time. And my dad was thankfully very encouraging. <laughs> And my mom was not, but I somehow convinced my mom. So I did everything from, we started off in the sample room uh, in China. Was, our sample room was a dining table. <laughs> they only had two or three employees. And I just loved how efficient everyone was. And at that time in China, it was rubble. It was like a third world country still. That was 97, 98. Yeah. And, uh, but the people there were just so excited to do things. Right. What you could accomplish in two weeks in America, you could accomplish in one day there. So that excited me. And I started detailing with materials. I, I had assistants helping me left and right. I was, it was just, I found my passion and I wanted to continue. I came back to America and I started hiring people at the age of 18 to 21. I grew our design team to six, seven people mm -hmm. from local 
fashion schools, and some of them are still with me today. So I just love the design process and leading the design team. And we just kept growing from there. That was our fun, super fun stage. Right. And then white waters. Oh my goodness. Or that's what you call white waters. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah. By the way, I do have the yellow pad that you speak <laughs> of. I watched your YouTube video again. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm sketching on the yellow pad that you speak of. But uh, I went through that with them where you know there's legal aspects of uh branding we had mud footwear as well as kenzie footwear we were licensors right. and there's lawsuits against uh, little legal stuff but i went through all of it but i still loved it <laughs> so i Even continued with them <laughs> yes white water and then we had to have a new team we ended up growing to 80 some people wow and unfortunately, when my father and Bobby passed away, you know, I, I was heartbroken sure. and I wanted to continue the business still. So in 2009, that's around the time Bobby passed away. I said, we need to continue. We still have the employees that we need to take care of. Uh, my father was still around for a year or two after. And, and it was just my mission to continue to do what right. I knew I was good at. So that's why I founded Evolution Design Lab, but with the mindset that it was important to adapt and change with the times right. and not be the hem and the haw uh, of the old days that right. moved my cheese, I reference, because that was kind of my mom at the time. She was unwilling to change mm. uh, systems and processes and uh, and, and you really have completely changed, not 100%, but the focus of EDL, Evolution mm -hmm. Design Lab, is it's, it, 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 as you've been telling the story about uh, your dad, your mom, and uh, uh, the business that they grew, that was you know basically an online <laughs> traditional shoe business. But this is very different. So share with the listeners a little bit of what you do in EDL. Right. So at Evolution Design Lab, we manufacture and distribute women's, kids, and toddler shoes throughout the US. But we focus on five major parts. We're pretty much a one-stop shop for a lot of our accounts. Number one, we develop and do line building for mm. shoes. Right. Two, which is what this is part we don't, we did not do back in the day. We do a lot of 3D design right. and 3D printing. So we, any new technology that comes out, we hop on it right away. And three, we do account management. We take care of the purchasing and sales. Four, we do logistics. We do inbound and outbound. And five, we do a lot of the engineering. So we engineer hardware to take photos uh, in a turntable. We engineer cameras. We also have engineered uh, software to help the whole supply chain process. And that was, that's a lot of Michael Chen's work. Uh, he's one of the people who started 20, when I was about 21 years old as well. And he's been with us ever since, but he was a programmer before at Pixar and Disney and also helped in merger and acquisitions through software. So he was some, someone I knew we really needed. So my mom though, did not think we needed it and didn't trust the software system. So, 
it was just kind of, you know, first generation, second generation, that battle, like, how do we do this seamlessly? And it was actually timing wise, a good time for my mom to retire. Right. She, she couldn't handle it emotionally anymore. It was too much. But that and, would have been really tough for her to have carried on after she lost yes. both her husband and, and someone who was clearly from how you've shared it, uh, not yeah. just a business partner, but a really good friend. In fact, I think you've said that he was like part of the family eventually. Oh my goodness. Yes. He was like, he was my best mentor, best friend to my mom. Right. He was, and uh, so, he, yeah you were able to take the business much more into the tech side of things and, yes. and far more deeply integrated with the supply chain. Yes. What, what, what sort of led you in that direction? What, did you just see needs? Were you hearing people saying to you, but we need this? Or were you seeing failure? Were you just yes. interested in it? You know, I, I, I get it about the, the design enjoyment and selling a million. Yeah pairs of shoes of something that you designed, but that's that's still quite a shift. Yes. Uh, had you seen a pressing need? Yes, definitely. So when we first started, uh, when I was 18, 21, that time period, we were still only doing Excel sheets. We were faxing paperwork. It was very archaic. And we were talking, there must be a more efficient way because we were growing so fast. It was taking so long, we would count one out of 20, two out of 20. It's just the whole process of that was like two hours longer on top of everything else. We went from maybe 10 styles to a hundred styles and how every season, and sometimes even eventually 200, 300 styles because we were working with so many accounts. So how do we keep it organized? So it was based on a need and my husband would sit next to me and some of the designers and try to figure this out. And for him, it was so uh, just intuitive that we have software. So he would design the software based on our need, sitting side by side and make the software so easy to use for designers and purchasing and every department within our company, easy to search, just, He designed it for us, basically. And like you said, today, it's pretty much our fun stage where we're spinning off our business, kind of like what you also talked about with Flickr, with uh, Stuart Butterfield, where he was designing games, but then ended up Slack or Flickr became more profitable or it became the business in itself. So we're being asked because our accounts see how we work so efficiently and they're telling it's just word of mouth they're telling other vendors like us you've got to use evolution design labs uh software because a lot of people are struggling now with that side that's great so and uh, mike um was he uh, you and mike are also husband and wife yes and i'd like to talk about how that works in the the co-ceo world but um were you married at the time that he first joined the business we got married so we were together already and we got married soon after uh two years after (laughs) and so what uh the reason i ask is um i can see from your journey your journey's perspective the decision then to start up evolution design and take on the role of founder 
there's a very natural, uh, albeit with a tragic backdrop, there's a natural progression there. Um, what sort of discussions were there around Mike jumping ship and, and coming in as well? Was that a no-brainer or were you sort of half in, half out? Or <laughs> Share with, with us a little bit about that because it's a big step, right? Yeah, that was a huge step and a lot of drama, to be honest. And I, I love being frank with you because this is what you're all about. Uh, it was a very tough decision because he could have done much better bigger and better things uh, very early on. But it was really important to me and he knew it uh, right. that he helped me as a business partner and a partner in life as well as a son-in-law. <laughs> right, right. So, no pressure. Uh, and my father would call him all the time for his advice about what he should do about right. legal issues or uh, he just became a confidant uh for my father as well and so it was a lot of social uh family pressures <laughs> right i can imagine in. i can imagine um, so the, the reason i ask uh, yeah. jeanette is because uh co-founders as a rule is a tough thing to make work it's really yes. really hard um spousal relationships yes. are tough in business i've been there i know what it's like to make work um, I mean, I, I, I'm not prying and I'm not asking you to go into anything. No, detail, I'm open. How's it, how's it worked out with you and Mike over the years? Yes. Well, it's definitely a rocky road. And we had to, you know, it's funny. At the CEO summit, a lot of the men said the same thing as you. How do you guys work together? I can never work with my <laughs> wife. That was one of the biggest questions I got. It, well, first of all, we have a therapist <laughs> that really helps. That helps, right? And not only that, we completely do two different things. He's on his very geeky software mind. Right. He helps a lot in that area. And I'm very creative and love design. And I love working with designer side. He, it's very hard for him to work with designers. So I have my... My visionary aspect, we're both V's, by the way, right. is very different from his visionary. His is all about software and coding and this and that. So we do kind of our own uh, expertise and right. we kind of respect each other. You're not it's stomping on each other's toes. Exactly. Right. And did it take a little while to bed that down and sort of build you know, sort of guidelines, however soft they would be that, oh, look, this is really the area I need to be looking at. I need you yes. to look after that. Did that take a while to evolve? Uh, honestly, it was kind of natural. Well, that's I, I prefer not to look at legal paperwork. Right. Uh, he could do all that and he could work with lawyers. Right. I, we both stay in our lane and it, that we really did not need to have someone to help us with it, it just came naturally for us he just like cooking you know i let him if do the cooking and i'll be his sous chef if needed and if i want to cook he'll do the opposite it kind of has worked out i mean this year will be our 20th year anniversary oh, congratulations so it's been kind of natural i think 
honestly, the therapist side, it's mostly how do we parent our children? That's the hardest, hardest thing. Right. Me saying this and him stepping over that, but for work, it's, it's, it's definitely helped uh, talking about certain issues a little bit at work, but we rarely, we rarely right. have to work things out. And, and, and final point on this topic, uh, um, how do you set boundaries? It must be easy to sort of bring it all home every evening, mm -hmm. spend all weekend talking about stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, I've been there, I, I, my ex-wife yeah. and I worked together for eight years and I, and I know what it's like. And yeah. we had to be pretty strict about, you know, even going so far as to, as to you know, there were certain rooms in the house we would not talk business just because we had to have some, you know, sort of respite. But for you uh, and with bringing up kids, have you been able to set healthy boundaries? Uh, it, okay, so growing up, my parents talked about work all the time. Right, the so you were used to like I'm, a backdrop, I was, right? Yes, I was used to it and I actually learned a lot from it. So I thought in the beginning that we should do the same. But it does become too much. And the kids have brought it up to us. Like, why do you guys always talk about work? Mm. So we try not to talk about it too much. But it's very difficult it's because very we, as owners, need to solve issues 24-7. Because right. we're also working with China. Uh, and that's later on in the day. There's all, we're always ah. working and they see that. But... When they do say, can we talk about something else other than work? We'll try to respect that, right. but uh, especially during mealtimes. I think it's something that um, anyone who hasn't, isn't or hasn't been a founder at any time, at some time, it, it's really, it's, it's hard to get just how baked in it is, yeah. just how much a part of your identity it is. In fact, there's a long time when there's just no separation. It's just, I am the business, the business is me. And that's, and I'm not, I'm not making any judgments, not saying that's good, bad, or indifferent, mm -hmm. but that if you don't yeah. get that, there's something wrong with you. It's just a very different sort of internal motivational spring that's coiled up when you're the founder. Yeah. Uh, and you don't get to waking up at four in the morning and say, oh, forget about it. I'm not going to worry about that issue. You don't get to do that because there's nobody no. else. So I'm very sympathetic and empathetic to that. Oh, thank you. Well, it is very true what you say. And that's why I love meeting other entrepreneurs because there's this unspoken understanding for each other exactly. and what we have to go through because people look at us like, wow, you guys are so amazing. How lucky you are. It is 20 years of marriage. We haven't even gone on our honeymoon yet oh, because, my <laughs> because there's no time. And in fact, our 20 year anniversary, we're going to spend it in North Carolina with buyers and sales reps. <laughs> so it's it's I, so baked into our lives. <laughs> I think uh, we, we need to call your therapist and put in an intervention yeah. for long enough for <laughs> yeah. you to get your, to get your honeymoon. Uh, that's, that's amazing. Well, um, let's change tack just a little bit. Tell us a, um, about Jelly Pop Shoes. What's that all about? Jelly Pop Shoes, we founded this because in the past at Primorial, we always did the licensing. We worked with Iconics Band Group. Sometimes there were very difficult uh, contracts with a lot of clauses in there. And we had learned from that, our, especially from our buyers, that we could have our own brand without us having to worry about uh, having a license. Right. So we started Jelly Pop 
choose based on what we felt and what our buyers told us was a need to fulfill that junior market with a good price point. Right. So we continue to do what we did best, which was we resourced the best materials for the best price for our consumers at the end of the day. So our price points are very good, $19.99 to at most $59.99. And we try to keep it at a reasonable price for the second tier department stores. Right. And we don't do much marketing, which I'm now rethinking maybe we should, but we don't do much marketing. Everything is in our product. We put more memory foam. We were the first junior brand that did memory foam. We, we just put all the money we would put in marketing and uh, uh, the money that we've saved from having a more efficient supply chain into our product. Right. And so consumers see it on the shelf and they'll compare it on their own. Right. So that's kind of our business model for Jolly Pop shoes. And we do kids and toddlers. And now people are asking us to do boys shoes. So. Huh. And your designs are beautiful. Are you still doing shoe design? So I, I lead the design team. I work with them. A lot of them, like I said, we're very big on change. A lot of them could do 3D design, 3D printing. They do catting very fast. So these younger designers who are in their early 20s are much faster than I am. So I just work with them, guide them, let them uh, take ownership of the design. But I work very right. closely with them. Right. And you, you support uh, quite a lot of uh, foundations and charities through that work. Tell us a little bit about that side of your life. Yeah. So Mike and I are very much, what, why do we do this? Why do we continue doing shoes? You're mission driven. Uh, yeah, we're very mission driven. As you could see, Mike, Mike and I love to teach. Uh, in fact, my <coughs> one of my goals in life is to become a teacher in my future. But uh, for now, as we're doing shoes, we're very much wanting to help, especially women and kids who aren't as privileged with footwear. So we donate a lot of shoes. Whenever people are in need in other countries, whether it be hurricane or a big earthquake, we're always shipping shoes directly to them through Souls for Souls or uh, Union Rescue Mission. There's so many resources out there where we could donate shoes and uh, it makes us feel good about what we do. Because right. in addition to just designing shoes. I mean, you could only have a passion for designing shoes for so long. It's, what's the purpose of all this? Right. And of course, uh, as Asian, by the way, this is AAPI month. So thank you for having me. Uh, of course, but, that, that was a coincidence because as you know, we had originally scheduled before, <laughs> but it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful coincidence, I like. Yeah, so I just love helping the Asian community because even my mom, when I was growing up, I would tell her my visions of my future. One day I want to own a shoe company too and be the face and this and that. She's like, no, no, there's no one who will want you to They'll only buy from you if you were a white male. She would tell me this as a kid. Uh, Asian parents typically, I don't mean to generalize, but they kind of stomp on dreams of right like this. If it's not a doctor or an accountant, they're 
I, Irish I mothers were not that not that much different. <laughs> I can tell you, as she uh, as she finally admitted that she might be wrong about all of that, and people may no. use from no, <laughs> no, she she's living not. in denial. Yes, so I just love the fact that I could prove her wrong, in my, <laughs> at least I know, but well, as an Asian female. <laughs> Um, the listeners can help prove her wrong. Uh, we'll put the address in the show notes, but it's at jellypop.la and the shoes are just remarkable. And you do sell direct to consumer from the website. So yes. it'll help out with um, uh, not just um, making Janet able to tell her mother that she's wrong, but also uh, <laughs> help those many uh, charities that, uh, that she and Mike uh, support then uh, pop over there and take a little look. Um, Jeanette, both you and Mike have been uh, very kind in expressing to me a couple of times that there are parts of the predictable success model that you find helpful uh, in navigating the growth of your business. So um, the listeners love to hear a little bit about that. Share a little bit about just, you know, what you what you how did you find this thing in the first instance and how has it been most helpful for you? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Super helpful. And you're like a celebrity to me because when. I, I mean it. When I first saw you, I wanted to take a picture with you. Uh, so you did. I did. And when COVID first started, it was a very scary time. It was that March 12th, we told yep. everyone to just pack their bags, especially the design team. Everyone had to work from home. And uh, it was a very scary time because we didn't know what was next. So we, my husband and I decided we wanted to create forum groups where we educated our employees during this unpredictable time. So one of the, actually Mike found your YouTube video uh, where you talked about predictable success and you were one of our lessons for the week for the whole group of employees that we have. So we made everyone watch it, take notes, and then we came together to discuss as a group. And we also determined who was the VOP or S. Right. And we had a whole Excel sheet to determine what each was. And it was so funny because we ended up finding that the the people in operations or sales and a lot of the purchasing people were O's. It, It was just very, and a lot of the, people in logistics were P's and then the leaders were V's or V's. So I'm more of a V's and then Mike was more of a VO. And it just made sense. And a lot of the, the things that we did together as a group, because it helped us also team build more and understand why so-and-so was the way she was, why Jeanette is the way she is, or this and that. And it explained a lot. And when we work together, a lot of times we'll joke, oh, okay, she's going to take the notes because she's the P or she, oh, that's why Peter is the way he is. It just explains a lot. And like what you said, the shared vocabulary Mm. has continued throughout the time that we work together. We're still working from home. And if we say we're in the white water right now, the production is not being taken care of as well as we would like they would know that, okay, there's something that could happen after the whitewater. We may need to have a new team of people help us, or it just gives us perspective. Right. And, and a lot of us just worked. It just, it's kind of like a personality test for people at work. 
yeah, it really helps, I think, in a team environment to depersonify mm-hmm. some of the what could be conflict issues about yes. people show up, why they respond to certain things the way they do. And you get to the point where you're saying, oh, that's that's not, you know, uh, it's it's not that, uh, you know, Evie is non-contributory. She's just not a visionary. So exactly, you know that why why put that you know onus on that person when it's not not necessary, not required. Well, I'm I'm really glad that's been helpful for you. And I, just on a personal note, you you came out as a visionary synergist. I, I recall. Did, did yeah. that echo with you? Did that feel right? Oh yeah, definitely. It was so accurate because. So, you and you and Mike together as visionaries are creating the vision. It's your job to sell it to the team then and make sure everybody's yeah. on board. And then Mike, as the operator, goes out and makes it happen. Does the what right. I call the dirty fingernail work? Is that how yeah. that how that happened? Well, it you say a lot of things that made sense because Mike is a VO, yeah. and his biggest issue is the VO VO that goes in a circle. Right, and he needs the O to be separate, or he needs another V to help him on that side. Right. So it. This is the so, artisan trap where he's trying yes. to do it all. He comes up with it and then tries to go and do it as well. Yeah. Right. So the problem right now with his software site, he can't really scale because he's the VO, 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 right. and going in circles. So right now we're trying to fix that. We'll have to keep in touch with you and let you know what happens. But yeah, so he right now is on the operations and uh side he is the visionary for that and he communicates very well with everyone there and i'm on the design side communicating very well with the design team so that's how we're uh separated in the bees but yeah so go ahead uh i was just gonna say what's so helpful about your graph also is when we realize oh, Mike has another idea about this, or it's not to be frustrated so much, it's to understand he, it's it's innate in him as right. a visionary. Right. Uh, he just has to have all the ideas and it's okay to have these ideas because if we don't have the V, like you said, without the V, if you just have the P and the O, the company will go down. Without you know, a vision, you the people the perish is what the good book says. Yes, so... So a lot of times it's just understanding for all of us not to be frustrated about him wanting to do another software system or <laughs> we just have to keep writing that that train of change. Right. Change is good. Right. And and also finding ways to just, you know, let things sit for a while, let them percolate and the good yes. ones will stay, still be yes. there. Uh, you know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, when you come back from a great conference or event, don't go in and project out of vomit all the fantastic right. ideas you had because if they're worthwhile, they'll still be there percolating a couple of weeks later and people mm. listen to you more rather right. than if, you know doing what they expect you to do, which is to come back and, and throw a ton more new squirrels for the yes. days after. So on that, on that note, Jeanette, um, you got, um, Mike got excited and you've got exciting things happening, uh, bubbling up in the software world. You've got Jellypop, you've got Evolution Design Lab. Um, when, as, as I'm hoping we will bring you back here, let's say two, three years from now, what would you, what would make you feel really good to be able to share has happened? What's your vision for the, you know, the next couple of years? Well, definitely on the Jolly Pop side, I 
want to continue providing shoes that are affordable for women, kids, and toddlers. So that I want to definitely sustain. But on the softer side, I want to grow that even more and help companies kind of like what Slack did and help companies be more efficient, work with overseas without having to necessarily fly there or right. have issues. And also work online with retailers. Back in the day when we had one hour meeting, we would have to spend three days traveling uh, for that one hour meeting and packing shoes. It was just a lot of waste with uh, plane and gas and this and that. So I, I really hope that there's a new way of selling shoes online as well as merchandising. And it's not just shoes. This software could go with clothing, any kind of product really. So I hope I hope the software side will grow. Well, if, if the past is any indicator of future performance, I'm sure that will happen. And, and Jeanette, I hope that you and Mike will come back and tell us about your journey in a few years from now. But yeah. just for today, thank you so much. And thank you for being so honest and sharing your journey as a founder. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has been really an amazing experience. And I seriously want to thank you for helping us during the two years without knowing that you really helped us. I'm glad I could tell you in person uh, that our employees have all benefited from watching your video and learning from you. So well, thank you. That means so much to me. Thank you very much.